Welcome to the Highland Church Podcast, where we share biblical teaching to glorify God and to bless you. This year, we're talking about my part, God's plan. God has a purpose for you, and that purpose is a part of God's bigger plan for the world. Now, if you connect with what you hear today, I hope you'll join us online Sundays at 10 a.m., or that you'll join us on-site right here in Memphis, Tennessee. Now, let's jump into today's teaching, and don't forget, you're part of God's A couple months ago, Lindsay and I got to take a trip to Washington, D.C. to do a wedding for a friend. And so we had my parents come to town and keep the kids, and we tacked on a couple of extra days to that and went exploring in Washington, D.C. And so one of those days we started in the National Mall by the Smithsonian Museums and uh, went into a couple of those museums. And then we wanted to go explore the rest of the mall. And so we rented those scooters, uh, you know, that are downtown, except renting two of them seemed like an extravagance. So we just rented one. And um, what I had in mind, you know, like when you're riding down the road and some guy's on a Harley and his girl's on the back and her hair's just flowing, like that's what I thought we looked like on this scooter, but apparently it wasn't quite like that. There's something different about being on a scooter than on a hog, you know? And so we're cruising down the National Mall though, and we swing up to the White House and go by the White House and and we go down to the National Monument to that tower, just towering up into the sky. I didn't know it was different colors of stone from the years of construction. If you've been there, you'll know that. And then we went from there down to the memorials. And you'll know at the National Mall, there's memorials to individuals, great Great people like Martin Luther King Jr. and Abraham Lincoln. And then there are the war memorials. And so we came to the World War II memorial first, where there is a star to represent every thousand American soldiers that were killed there. 400,000 Americans who lost their lives in World War II. Went from there to the Korean soldiers memorial, these statues of soldiers who served in Korea, And then from there to the Vietnam Memorial Wall, which stretches on into the distance, just impossibly long, that wall, covered in names of those who were lost in Vietnam. It was a somber place to be because I know that there are those at Highland who have family and friends whose names are on that wall. And something about being there just kind of washed over me the memory of those people and how precious those people were to family members here and still are. There are several here at Highland who have connections to those on that wall. One is Candy Wells, Miss Candy Wells. And you know Candy, her husband was a prisoner of war in Vietnam, which is a story that's been shared here at Highland, extraordinary man of faith, Ken. What you may not know about Miss Candy is she also lost her brother, in Vietnam. And his name is on that wall. And Miss Candy, one of the things I love and admire about Candy, in addition to her great faithfulness, is this project that Miss Candy's involved in right now for a memorial here that would honor him and others. And as I think about that, and I think about Miss Candy, I think it is so right to remember our heroes which is, of course, something that we do on Memorial Day weekend. But I think it expands you know, beyond just the, the, you know, the, 
what we're remembering on this weekend. It expands to all those who have gone before us, who've inspired us, and especially those who've inspired us with their faithfulness. Those heroes of faith that we think about who have gone on before us, who the memory of them just does something inside of us, right? Helps us to live with a kind of faithfulness we didn't know possible because we remember them and their example for us. And I've been thinking about that in relation to this vision for 2028 for the Highland Church of building up the next generation. And and the question I'm asking myself is, how important are the heroes of faith in our lives for the forming of a deep and lasting faith in our hearts? How important are those people? So let's dig into Genesis 26 today, and we're we're just going to look at that question in relation to this story. So let me set the stage here. Genesis 26 is really the beginning of Isaac's story. Isaac is Abraham's son. He's certainly been part of the story before this, but in Genesis 25, Abraham dies, and the story has shifted completely from Abraham to Isaac at this point. And so Isaac's trying to kind of make his way in the world, and specifically he's trying to understand what does it mean to live as a a person of God, as God's chosen person. What does that mean in my life? And as he's trying to figure out that, he's trying to take care of his big sprawling family that has grown from Abraham and his seed, Abraham and Sarah. Now this sprawling family that he's taking care of in the promised land. So he's got pressure, he's got burdens, he's got bills to pay and mouths to feed. And in the middle of all of that, a famine sweeps through the promised land. And so suddenly it's getting a lot harder to feed all those mouths. He's feeling the pressure of the real world. And so what he plans to do is to get up and move. He's going to leave and flee to Egypt. Now you'll know that at the end of Genesis, that's exactly what the people of God do is get up and flee to Egypt. But God does not want him to do that. God's trying to convince Isaac, I will take care of you if you stay. And this is what he said. Look at verse 2 with me. Do not go down to Egypt, God says to him. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while. I will be with you and I will bless you. For to you and your descendants, I will give all these lands, and pay attention to this, and will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. I'll make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I'll give them all these lands and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. Pay attention here. Because Abraham obeyed me and did everything I required of him, keeping my commands, my decrees, and my instructions. Okay. God's telling him to stay, even though he doesn't want to. God's telling him to stay. And Isaac's asking, why should I? And God doesn't say, because I said so, although I have used that, right? God doesn't say, because I said so. What does he say? When Isaac's asking, why should I stay? The reason is, stay because that's what your father would have done. You can trust me. You can follow my instructions because your father did. And it turned out okay for him. Stay because that's what your father would have done. So come with me a little bit further in the story. Come to verse 24 with me. 
Later in the chapter, he, he stayed. He's having all of these angry run-ins with his neighbors. And God says to him, comes back and he reaffirms what he said. I'm the God of your father, Abraham. So don't be afraid, for I'm with you. I'll bless you and I will increase the number of your descendants. Why? For the sake of my servant, Abraham. So pay attention here. You know, Isaac's in the middle of an impossibly difficult circumstance. The most difficult thing he has faced yet, by far. Responsibility for all of these people in the midst of a famine. And he's also got angry neighbors, and we're going to come to that in just a second. So he's in the midst of the most difficult thing he has faced in his life so far. Trying to hold on to trust in God. And the way that God tries to get him to cling on to that is to keep reminding him of his father, Abraham. Abraham, Abraham, Abraham. A couple weeks ago, you saw the video of Kostya, our missionary in Ukraine, who's still in Ukraine right now during the conflict there. And we did a video call with him, and Russ put that video call together into a video. But we talked for a really long time after we we stopped recording. And, um, you know, once the cameras were off, I told him, okay, Kostya, you know, nobody's listening, nobody's going to hear this. Talk to me really frank. What do you need? What do you need from us? He said, oh, I don't need much of anything here. Just keep those prayers coming. Okay, okay. Well, Kostya, listen to me. We would move heaven and earth to get you out of there if you want to come home. Come back here. Home is there if you want to come here. We would move heaven and earth to get you out of Ukraine and bring you here if that's what you'd like to do. And he said, oh, Eric, I know that. I wouldn't leave if I could. He said, I wouldn't leave if I could. Think about that. And circumstances may change, and perhaps he may have a chance to leave at some point and decide to take it. He's there in the middle of a war, serving this little church, helping people make it to the border every day. And I said, we have all the resources in the world here. We can get you out. And he said, Eric, I wouldn't leave if I could. So why do you tell a story like that? Because at some point this week, somebody here at this church, or some point this year, some young person growing up here is going to be facing a situation that seems impossible to them. And they're going to be trying to decide, can I stay and stick this out? Do I have it in me to stay and maintain my faith in this impossibly difficult circumstance? And my hope is, at that moment, they're going to remember who? Kostya. And they're going to think to themselves, well, if he did that, maybe I can do this. If you think about it, that is really why all of the stories that you find here, okay, in your Bible, all the stories that the people of God share on Sunday mornings when they come together, I mean, that's the reason for all of those stories. And so that the people of God, thousands of years later, who are trying to decide what does it mean to be faithful in a situation like that, or trying to discern that, or trying to hold on to their faith, they have these stories they can look to, these heroes, and they come to mind and they remember, oh yeah, if he did it, maybe I can. If she did it, maybe I can trust this God after all. That's the whole point. 
And look at this, it works for Isaac. God keeps reminding him about his father, Abraham, and he stays in the land. It's incredible. And his neighbors, like I mentioned, they start working against him. What they're actually doing is they're going and they're filling in with rock and rubble all of the wells, the water wells, that his father Abraham dug in the land. Now, we talked about this a few weeks ago. A well in the desert was one of the most significant engineering feats of the time. I mean, it'd be something equivalent to like a skyscraper today, the technology they had. You may remember what Abraham does when God promises him this land that belongs to somebody else. He goes into that land and he starts doing two things, building altars to the Lord and digging wells. And the, you know, the point is, he thinks he is going to stay here. That God is going to fulfill the promise of making this land his. And he believes that so convincingly that he will spend all of his resources in digging these wells to provide for his people in this land God's promised him. So these wells represent Abraham's faith in God. They're these great monuments to Abraham's faith and trust in the Lord. And the neighbors come and they start filling in all those wells. And you want to see what Isaac does? Look at this. Verse 18. So Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father Abraham, which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham died. And he gave them the same names his father had given them. Look at that. And what these wells represent is the faith of his hero. And that comes and it gets squashed by these bad neighbors. These people trying to tell him, no, you can't trust on this God. You can't stay here. The resources aren't going to be here for you to stay in this land. You better just go on and go. And what does he do? He gets down with a shovel and starts digging out the wells and gives them the same names his father Abraham had given him. It's a celebration of the faith of his dad. It's becoming his. Even in the midst of this terrible adversity, he's declaring that his dad's faith was the right kind of faith. And it's becoming his. We need heroes like that in our lives, right? We need those people that we look to and the memory of them makes us remember God points us to the provision of God. We need heroes like that. Heroes who, who perhaps they are great, but more importantly, heroes in whose lives God was really great. Because let's be honest, people are still people, and our heroes let us down sometimes. There's this new Ben Rector song. Y'all like Ben Rector? I did too. He's got this new song, called Heroes, and he's singing about his heroes from high school, and he sings about his Bible study leader who had all the answers for living in the big bad world, and then he goes on to describe how his Bible study leader's life fell apart, and now he sells garage doors. He doesn't know if he still talks to Jesus or not. And then he says this, he says, um, I miss my old heroes. I had to give them all away. I miss my old heroes. Yeah, God, I wish they could have stayed. Because it turns out the hardest part of growing up is not getting old. It's learning how the real world goes. He says, mm. our heroes let us down 
don't they? Let me come with you to the part of the story that I skipped. This is Genesis 26, verse 6 and 7. Look at this. Isaac stays in the land, just like this this celebration of his faith in God that he's inherited from his dad. He's honoring his dad. He's honoring the Lord. He's staying in the land. He's trying to be faithful. But look at this in verse 6. So Isaac stayed in Gerar, and when the men of that place asked him about his wife, he said, oh, her? She's my sister. Because he was afraid to say, she's my wife. He thought the men of this place might kill me on account of Rebekah, his wife, because she's beautiful. So think about that for a second. He claims that the woman he's sworn to protect is not his wife, but his sister, to excuse himself from the responsibility of having to protect her and puts her at risk of being taken advantage of. Do you know who else did that? His dad. Twice. Twice. In the Genesis story, Abraham pretends his wife, Sarah, is his sister to save his own skin. Man. Here's this confirmation that it's not just the faith of our heroes we inherit. What do we also inherit sometimes? Their flaws. Um, There's a, a mom here at Highland. She teaches at Harding Academy. We love Harding Academy. That's where my boys go to school. And, and so she, she's a teacher there and she was walking down the hallway at Harding Academy the other day and there was this on the wall, you know, they do these presentations on the wall and students at Harding Academy had, had posted on the wall their ethical heroes. So people who lived out what they were talking about. And on this list of ethical heroes, there's Gandhi and there's Martin Luther King Jr. and there's Mother Teresa. And then there's this mom who's a teacher at Harding Academy whose picture's up there. And there's this blurb about her being their ethical hero. And she walked by that and she sees the company that she's surrounded by on this wall. And she says, I don't belong up there. And it terrified her. You know, this feeling washed over her that what this means is that people are paying attention, not just to what I say in the classroom, but what I do. And that's a terrifying thought, isn't it? That's terrifying. It's a good reminder why Paul says this to Timothy. You remember this in 1 Timothy 4.16, watch your life and your doctrine. It's not just enough to be right. Watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you'll save both yourself and your hearers. You don't want that responsibility, do you? You don't want anybody looking at your life so close that their salvation is dependent on it. And yet Paul says, pay attention to your life. Because somebody watching it might be led to trust the Lord because of what they see in you or be led away. Man, that's convicting. I think that's the challenge of this vision of building up the next generation. What we know is that it's going to require each of us to grow, to watch our lives and our doctrine really closely if we would dare to share our lives with a young person for Jesus' sake. That's what scares us about it, isn't it? Because our heroes aren't perfect. Tell you a story. 
The other night I was laying in bed with Deacon. I just read him a story and lights on right here and reading this book. And he's just looking up at me adoringly, adoringly. And he says, Dad, says, Dad, why do you have spider webs in your nose? Apparently, I needed to do a little grooming. I made sure to do that last night before I came and talked to all of you. Why do you have spiders? Because our heroes aren't perfect. Right, they're not perfect. All right, I just wanted to lighten the mood a little bit. All right. We don't have to be perfect heroes. We don't have to be perfect heroes. What we need is to be the kind of people that when somebody spends time with us, they think about, they remember the Lord. I think about what Paul says in Philippians. Paul's talking to the church in Philippi. He desperately wants to be with them. He really wants to go on and be with the Lord, to be honest. But if he can't do that, he's going to stay and be with them. And pay attention to what he says here in Philippians 1, 25 and 26. Convinced of this, I know I'll remain. And I'll continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. Pay attention right here. So that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Do you have somebody in your life like that? Somebody that you remember who's gone on? Somebody you can still call up today that when you are with them or you remember them, you boast in Jesus Christ? You got somebody like that? The author of Hebrews tells us to remember those people this is what I said at the beginning, remembering is right. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. We had a funeral service a couple weeks ago for one of our deacons, longtime deacons, Wen Yu Ding. He was active in our Chinese ministry, a longtime servant of this church. Wen Yu Ding is his name. I think we've got a picture we'll throw up. In a second. Uh, at his funeral service, which um, most of it was in Mandarin, and I, I couldn't make out all of it, there was a couple times where stories were told in English, and one of those stories was so powerful. This young man, probably mid-20s, came to the podium, and Wen Yu's picture is right there beside him. And he leans over to the picture, and he, he says a few things in Mandarin I didn't make out. And then he turns to the audience and he begins to speak in English. And he tells a story about how when he came to America from China nine years ago, that it was Wen Yu who took him under his wings. He was a young guy at the time, a high schooler. And Wen Yu would spend time with him nearly daily. And he said, he taught me all of these things. He, he uh, taught me kindness. He taught me joy. He taught me above all to go to church every week. And to love the Lord. He said he, he graduated from high school. He went on to college. He was going to college locally. He was doing an internship at St. Jude. And one day, Mr. Ding called him up. And he said, come and pick me up. So he drove down from St. Jude and picked up Mr. Ding. And Mr. Ding wanted to go to the library. And so they went to the library where he could pick up a few books. And on the way out of the library, there was a little bench there. And they stopped at the bench. And when you started to talk to him, what that young man said was, what he didn't know was at that time I was in the deepest anxiety of my life. I didn't know if I could go on. He said, Mr. Wynn, you started to talk to him about peace in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And he said he looked at Wen Yu, and the sun was hitting him on the face, and he was almost glowing, he said. He said, I'll never forget that. And I felt like I was in the presence of so much power and grace. And this man changed my life, he said. And he looked over at that picture of Wen Yu, and he said, thank you. You got somebody in your life like that? Are you that person? Let me say a prayer over us as we finish today. God, what a great calling to be people to whom others look. People who by their lives point others to Christ Jesus. God, that's who I want to be. I think that's on the hearts of every person here. God, you've called this church to have a hand in building up the next generation for your sake and for your glory. And what we know is that's going to take all of us. But it's going to take each of us growing, becoming and being who you have called us to be because we know others will learn from us, will be drawn to you or driven away from you by what they see in us. God, as we've prayed this morning, our hearts are heavy this week. As we think about the shootings, tragic shootings of the last few weeks in Buffalo and California and Uvalde, Texas, and we don't know what to do, God. We believe, God, that you, through Jesus Christ, have created peace. That Jesus made peace. He preached peace, that he was peace. And our desire is that that peace fill this world. God, as we trust in your Son, would you make us agents of your peace? Would you make us examples to whoever is in our sphere of influence, some fragile person who might be brought to great faith by what they see in us as we live lives that point to your Son, Jesus? We don't know what else to ask, God, but that you would make us your ambassadors for the sake of the world. We pray in the confidence and hope of Jesus Christ, in whom we have no despair but hope. In his name we pray. Amen.